On the first Monday of every month, we open up the show to questions from our community. This is Coaching for Leaders, episode 339. Produced by Innovate Learning, maximizing human potential. Greetings to you from Orange County, California. This is Coaching for Leaders, and I'm your host, Dave Stahoviak. Leaders aren't born, they're made. And this weekly show gives you access to the practical wisdom that will empower you to become a better leader. It is our monthly Q&A show. If you would like to submit a question for our Q&A show on the first Monday of every month, you can submit it by going to coachingforleaders.com slash feedback. I would love to consider it for a future Q&A episode. And I am glad to have back with me, Bonnie Stahoviak, uh, who is here as always to help us to jump in and facilitate some of these questions. Hello, Bonnie. Hello, Dave. I had such a good time listening to your recent episode about some leadership failures. I just think it's so great when we can tell those stories and share what we've learned so maybe other people can avoid it, but also celebrate the learning we can have from failing. Yeah, it's such a big part of our community. It's a big part of the academy conversations we have within our Coaching for Leaders Academy. We have a whole channel set up in Slack just talking about failures because, not because we're aiming for failure, of course, but failure is the road to learning and to getting better. And so, by the way, speaking of learning, Bonnie, I was realizing and getting a couple of emails from people recently on things related to teaching and learning that I don't think everyone knows that you host a podcast as well. I know a bunch of people in our community know that. We have a bunch of people who listen to both shows, but I don't know if everyone knows that you also host a a very highly rated podcast on teaching and learning for higher education faculty. So I want to make sure people knew about that. It's called Teaching in Higher Ed. And if you have a faculty, a professor, a instructor in your life that is looking to become a better teacher, Bonnie shows a great resource for that. So definitely check it out if you haven't already. We'll put a link in the in the show notes for it. Um, Bonnie, let's go ahead and jump into the first question here from Craig. We got lots of questions uh, for this episode. Craig writes, I work for a major aerospace company and I was trained as a lean Six Sigma black belt. However, it seems like my facilitator and leadership skills have atrophied because of my lack of use and the company is not focused on doing SIA events hardly at all. How can I be a leader to influence the company to go back to lean Six Sigma principles? Well, thank you, Craig, for the question. And there's some great things of working for a large organization. There are also some challenges. And one of the big challenges is anytime something changes and it's changing in a negative way is trying to influence change to go back. Of course, a large organization takes more time to influence change, as you know. So one of the things I'd be curious about, Craig, is was this an intentional move or is this just something that has kind of happened over time? I'd be curious of doing a little bit of research on your end, if you haven't already, of trying to determine, did someone make a decision at some point of not doing these events? Or is this just something that's fallen off people's radar screens? And I say that because I think the way that you approach this potentially is different depending on that. If it's just atrophied over time and people haven't been seen as much of the value or it's fell off radar screens, 
there's one way to approach that, and that's probably the potentially the easier way. On the other hand, if someone's made a decision not to do this, and that's been a policy change, or someone doesn't see the value in doing that, I think that's a very different approach. But I think a starting point would be, uh, and I'm thinking back to the episode we did um, just a few months ago with Peter Block and talking about organizational politics. Um, I'd be really curious what other people in the organization are thinking about this and if they are thinking about this. And so first step, Craig, would be going and having some conversation with people, particularly as Peter Block talked about in that episode of being really transparent with the people who are allies uh, of yours, people who you have high trust with in the organization and people who generally agree with you that these things have been valuable in the past. I'd be curious if you haven't already of having some conversation with them and just finding out where do they stand on this or have they noticed that these events aren't being done as much? Do they see the value in it continuing? Is there something they know about what's going on politically within the organization that would be helpful for you to know about if you're going to try to affect change going forward? And one of the other suggestions that Block made in that episode, and I really like too, is taking time to also engage with opponents. So opponents are people you have still high trust for, but may not agree with you. So these would be the people that you have a good relationship with in the organization, but are for whatever reason uh, not supportive of these events and finding out where are they coming from. And maybe that conversation just starts rather than you trying to change anything. It's just starting from understanding. So you come to that conversation, Craig, from a place of listening of why are we not doing this anymore or or at least understanding like what are the other priorities that have crept in that have kept this from being a priority and i think that if you start there that gives you a lot more data to understand the environment you're working in both the reasons logically for why change may have happened but also you begin to understand more of the politics and the emotion that may be going on in the organization that may have influenced change, either intentionally or unintentionally. And then if you do decide from that to move forward, um, I, I really love the work of John Cotter and his thinking around organizational change. And he was on uh, episode 249 and talked about the process of organizational change. And one of the things that Cotter says is if you're going to influence change in the organization, a really smart place to start is to create a sense of urgency. And so what I mean by that, and what he means by that, is if you're going to change something, you need to identify what's the problem. What is the real issue that the organization is dealing with because this isn't happening? So to your point specifically, Craig, on the SIA events, what by these events not happening, where is that impacting quality, schedule, cost, in the organization that is a negative effect that you can tie to that directly. Because unless there's a specific tie-in to why not doing this is causing a problem for the organization, it's a lot harder to encourage people to affect change. Because if the organization isn't doing these events anymore and it hasn't impacted the numbers of the bottom line, I think quite rightfully, people might come back and say, well, it didn't matter. You know, why would we spend the time and effort to do this if it hasn't changed the results in any way? Let's spend our time doing something else. Now, I'm saying that, Craig, because you want to you want to know those different perspectives. You may not agree with that, but you want to be able to understand where people are coming from. So, creating a sense of urgency is really key. And then, if you get to that point, you know, his 
his advice for the next step is find the people in the organization who are the allies who you can get onto the guiding coalition and start to really influence potential change uh, there going forward. So I hope that gives you a few things to start with, Craig. But first and foremost, I'd see if you can tackle an understanding of the why and understand where people are. And I think if you start there, that's going to give you some really good data points to be able to think about where to go next. So let me go next to the question from Marlon. Marlon wrote in and asked, is studying to become a leader and manager something to be done solely on one's own time, or is it considered part of the job and therefore using company time is acceptable? Bonnie, what do you think? I would see this question from a couple different perspectives. One would be what organizations think, and a second would be what your perspective could be. To start with, organizations really fall on a continuum where It really can depend on the culture and on the values of the organization. Some organizations say, hey, you know, do that leadership stuff during your lunch break or do it on your own time and don't have the kind of perspective that it should be as integrated with the other work that you're doing all the way to really innovative organizations that truly value leadership and not only have training programs as part of that, but also opportunities to collaborate in a cross-functional way with other people and opportunities for types of feedback, like the 360-degree feedback process. I mean, all kinds of ways that we can truly integrate that leadership development into growing leaders in the organization. And when we think about your perspective, of course, you want to be sensitive to the culture. Personally, I'd want to work for an organization that was more on the side of the continuum that saw it as an integral part. But if you're in a situation where the organization doesn't, you can still see it not as a false dichotomy. It's one or the other. But recognizing that you want to really discover what's out there, discover what resources are available to you, make sure that you're exploring that with human resources or whatever other departments are responsible for facilitating this kind of development. And then you also want to be hungry enough to do it outside. And for me, I, I don't do reading well at work. So the reading that I do on leadership development or building other skills happens outside of work hours. It happens mostly in the evenings. And I don't see it as, you know, something the organization necessarily owes me back for that time. I see it as something that I'm passionate about. And in fact, so much of the time we can really think about, you know, work versus our personal life. But that strict boundary is really disappearing. And when I read a good leadership book, I often learn things about how to have better relationships in what would typically be called my personal life. And I often find things that might benefit my own parenting approaches or volunteerism that I do. And so there's lots of ways that we can think about for ourselves. Yes, be hungry to do it inside our organization, but also have it cross over enough to just really recognize how it benefits us as individuals to be developing in this way. And I'm so glad you're asking the question in terms of just recognizing the importance of pursuing these kinds of opportunities. This next question is from Robin. I am a seasoned high school teacher wanting to transition into adult career and talent development. If you could recommend one certification training that would be good to pursue and look good on a resume, what would that be outside of an HR degree? 
Oh, Robin, thanks for the question. I know we do have folks in our community who are looking at uh, career and talent development as uh, as going, moving into a career or already in that as a career. I don't think there's a simple answer to your question, Robin, so I'm going to give you a few things maybe to think about. First and foremost, who you're trying to influence. So you mentioned a resume, so I'm going on the assumption in responding to this question that you are not necessarily going out as a consultant on your own or starting your own business, that you're going to probably go work for an organization. So I think the answer is a little bit different depending on the kind of role that you're going to look at doing. So here would be one example. Say you want to go work for a medium to large size organization, being a person who's a training development person or an organizational development person, which they may often be called. And often, but not always, those are folks under the human resources organization. And so those are the kinds of people that I'd be thinking about as like, what are they going to be looking at and wanting to see? Uh, Many organizations that have people in those roles of training, organization development. Um, They tend to be in medium and large size organizations. Most small organizations just don't have the budget or resources that they would have a full-time person who'd be doing that. So you're generally looking at large and medium-sized organizations. And if you are looking at especially large organizations, I think they are going to be looking for many of them. Of course, there are exceptions, but they are going to be looking for some formal education in this area. So I don't think you need to necessarily go and get a graduate degree in human resources, or I think probably is the better route for something like this, a graduate degree in organizational development, organizational leadership, organizational behavior. Every school has a little different term for this. Getting a grad degree would be great in those areas because that is going to be attractive to the larger organizations and they're going to be looking for that. And there's a lot of competition for those roles. So experience is really helpful. But many schools who have graduate degrees in those areas, especially at the master's level, often will have a lower tier certificate program. So a graduate program, for example, in organizational leadership, like the master's that Bonnie and I did, I think there was 10 or 11 courses, but you could also just do three or four courses and get a certificate. That's a really great start because it shows on your resume and to a potential employer that you are willing to invest in your education. You're going to get a ton of great learning. But the other benefit is if you decide at some point down the road that you do want to go in and invest in the degree, oftentimes, um, either at certainly at that school and sometimes even in a different school, you could apply those courses toward your actual degree. So that'd be one way to approach it as far as looking at a certificate. The other option would be, I mean, let's say you wanted to go work in an organization or maybe even want to go work for a training company, say like Dale Carnegie, like I've worked for. In that case, you may not decide to go and get more graduate level education or a certificate program. You may go in and say, hey, I want to become a really great facilitator and go through their internal program. Like Carnegie is an internal program that's amazing. And it actually takes a couple of years and it's well over 300 hours of development to become a Carnegie instructor. I mean, it is it is probably the premier standard in the training industry of developing great training and facilitation skills. And the starting point is taking one of their courses. So if you wanted to be a stand-up trainer and facilitator, that may serve you a lot better than going and spending a year or two getting more education um, in a formal way in the classroom. So I think it depends what you want to do. One thing I'd certainly encourage you to do is to think about what kind of roles you think you may be interested in. Go start talking to some of those people. Find those folks in your network. uh, Make some introductions. Find out what they've done for their career development and what certifications they have, what schools they've looked at, where their degrees are from, because those will inform you on what you may do as a next step. And then the other place that I'd also 
also recommend looking for, especially within this industry, is the Association for Talent Development. It was formerly ASTD. Um, it's at td.org. They have chapters um, here in the States and I believe around the world where people get together locally who are in the training development, organizational development industry, and practitioners meet up. And, and you'll have people from large companies. You also have people who are independent consultants and coaches, and they meet up a lot of them once a month. Uh, that'd be a great local meeting to attend. So wherever you are geographically, uh, find that meeting, go there. You're going to hear about a ton of options for certification programs, for online courses, for in-person courses through the Association for Talent Development. And even if you just go on their website, you're going to see a ton there. And those tend to be smaller, more uh, short-term courses. I think it'll really get you started. And again, be a great thing for you to put on your resume that's going to show potential employers that you're the kind of person that's really uh, willing to invest in yourself. So I hope that gives you a few places to get started, Robin. Good for you for uh, asking this question and uh, and making the transition. And drop us a line. Let us know what you decide to do. I'd, I'd love to hear. Our next question here is from Eric. Okay, Eric writes in and says, I'm an assistant store manager in a large pharmaceutical store chain. I have a passion for leadership and I'm looking for places to earn a leadership certificate. However, no matter where I search, the cost seems to be thousands of dollars. Uh, I don't make nearly enough in my job to afford something like that. And my company won't drop a dime to pay for the training, even though... I'm offering them a life of servitude, he says. Even if, even if. Oh, even if I offered them a life of servitude. Okay, good. That's better. <laughs> Leadership certificates and training seem to have high costs attached to them. Where can a guy like me go for an accredited leadership development program that won't cost me thousands of dollars? Bonnie, a little related to our last question. Um, thoughts you have on this? I'm not sure that it's necessary for you to try to seek the impossible, which would be an accredited leadership certificate program. When you talk about accredited, there's language in there. If you're speaking specifically of the United States, we typically have regional accrediting bodies. And that adds a lot to the price tag of leadership development, as you already have indicated in your message. Well, I think these programs can be highly valuable because they do come with that external entity ensuring some accountability on behalf of quality of the education and the results that graduates typically get and, and that type of thing. It is valuable, yes, but absolutely necessary in a day like today, I would say not. And there's a couple of things that they offer a more formalized training program will offer opportunities to really apply what you're learning. And so for you, if you decide to watch many of the resources that are available online or read books or participate in, you know, volunteer co-mentoring programs, then build into that structure, either do it yourself or do it collaboratively with a group that you're working with for opportunities for application that's where the real learning happens. And that's really where the downfall is to some of the low hanging fruit in the training industry is that there's not that opportunity to apply what I'm learning, have some small failures, pick myself back up again, and move toward the kind of development I want to see. They're also one of the advantages of the kind of program that you're talking about hoping to pursue is opportunities for accountability. So how do we build in then accountability? And again, some of that can be self-accountability. One of the things that I know Dave and I do around our own accountability is setting goals. And he and I have both really shifting 
to setting more small goals. Dave's kind of a fan of using this 12-week year model where four times a year setting goals. And in the world that I live in, in academia, since we primarily work on semesters. Mine is called a trimester. So I'm, I've got my fall goals, I've got my spring goals, and I've got my summer goals. And those really look different. Sometimes I carry them over from the fall to the spring if I'm not able to get quite as far as I wanted to. But just more opportunities for accountability. And I have a weekly review where I review those goals. And then on a on the space between the fall and the spring and spring and summer, et cetera. That's where I really dive in and make any kinds of adjustments and set the ones for the next time and really do those bigger reviews. And that to me is an internal self-assessment for the kind of accountability I want to have for my personal and professional development. But of course we can work with others too, and it doesn't have to be anything formal, but you find people who are like-minded in their passion for leadership development and find ways to hold each other accountability. And it kind of depends on your own style and preferences as to which one's going to be stronger for you. And I think ideally you'd have a combination of both, you know, people that you're holding each other accountable. And then you also have systems for yourself that you can drive your own progress forward. One of the big things that leadership certificates do for us is introduce us to a vocabulary. One of the things I know that comes up often, I promise this relates to your question, but people who are coming out of military service and they've gained all these incredible skills and they have such strengths. But being able to translate that experience that they had while in the service into more of a traditionally corporate role can be really challenging. It's not that they don't have those things. It's that they need to create a map of, oh, here's an example of what in the corporate world they call this. So one of the things that a leadership certificate would do for you is show you what you're already doing, how that maps to more of a leadership-oriented vocabulary It also would show you where you had gaps and you could identify those gaps and using a vocabulary that people who were more studied in leadership would have. And of course, you can gain vocabularies without going and getting a formal accredited degree or certificate like the one you're describing. We can do that by accessing all the different kinds of resources. Of course, Dave's had this podcast for years and years that has done that and lots of past episodes to go back and look at. Got a couple more pieces of feedback, and then I'm definitely going to pass it over to Dave for his his input. Measurement. Leadership can be challenging to figure out, you know, how do I measure this? How do I measure where my strengths are or, or even what is my idea of what leadership is? And so that's another benefit that you can gain by getting a leadership certificate, but it's not something that you can't pursue on your own and be able to find ways of measuring and going out and studying what organizations are doing to measure leadership and management effectiveness. Dave has had many episodes in the past about feedback and the power of feedback. And the more I can find out how I'm showing up in the world and for all of its greatness and all of its not so greatness, where do I have what are called blind spots? Where am I ineffective as a leader? And I'm not even aware of it. And so how can I regularly be soliciting feedback on my own leadership strengths and weaknesses and make plans for developing in those areas? And then the last thing I would say, practice, practice, practice. So the combination of opportunities for practicing to fill in some of those gaps that I know I have as a leader can only come with regular infusions of feedback because otherwise I'm practicing and I only can see how I see myself. 
And for some of us, how I see myself is not how other people see me. And that can be a really dangerous thing to be practicing, but you're actually practicing the wrong thing. So I would, I would think about that practice, practice. How do I incorporate feedback? Practice, practice. How do I incorporate feedback? And I wish you the best. I'm going to pass it over to Dave for his thoughts. Yeah, Eric, two additional things. Uh, our recent episode with Morton Hansen, episode 337, we talked about six tactics for extraordinary performance. He talked about learning loops in detail in that episode. It's not a substitute for a formal training or academic program like Bonnie was discussing, but it, it's a great starting point for beginning your own process for how you learn well. And if learning is the key driver for this right now, and maybe it's not so much about the program or the certification, it'll get you started. And so many things Bonnie mentioned lined up really beautifully with the six steps in his model, and that's backed successfully with research. So episode 337, if you haven't already heard it, I'd certainly go check that out. The other uh, thing that I suggest here, Eric, is you mentioned you've gone and talked to your organization and they're not willing to invest. Um, I wouldn't consider that the end to the conversation unless someone literally told you, you are not getting funding for this, don't ever ask again. In which case, you may want to think about what would be another organization to work for. I know that's not always possible. But in most organizations, even when there's a no, I always view that as a no, not right now. And I think one of the smart things to do is if you are really intent on making an investment in yourself that's going to benefit you and the organization and the employees, is if you get a no, not right now, of having a conversation about what would it look like in order for me to get a yes later. And that may mean you make a commitment on your end in the annual review or whatever your organization does to hit a certain goal or maybe to hit a goal that goes above and beyond what you'd normally do. And that part of what the organization agrees to do of you doing that is making an investment in a program or coaching or certification or something like that. I think too often, the people I've seen uh, over the years who have had not had success in getting organizational funding, they stop too soon, or it ends up being a one-time conversation versus being an ongoing conversation and looking at it from a partnership standpoint. So if you haven't already done that, I'd consider that as a way to approach this. And if you're looking for a model for that, I would certainly suggest checking out one of the member casts I posted a while back. I'll put a link in this week's leadership guide and in the show notes here. It's MemberCast 7. If you're a free member on the website, you can get access to it. It's seven steps to landing professional development funding. It's about a 20-minute audio for me that um, I walk through over the last 15 years, all the things that I've seen work really well for people over time in order to get reimbursement and funding from an organization to participate in leadership development or academic programs or training programs like Bonnie was discussing. If you haven't listened to that, I'd certainly recommend that as a starting point because it'll give you a sense of some of the things you can try. And like I said, even if it's a no for now, also what I talk about in that episode is how you can lay the groundwork for the future in order to be more likely to get a yes down the road. Because I think there is, and most, most organizations do recognize there's a partnership. And if you're willing to make the investment and you're willing to show results, most organizations are willing to do something. The vast majority of our academy members either get full or partial support for their, from their organization. And it's because uh, they're willing to ask and they're willing to have good conversations. And some of them, you know, you know, six months or a year from now of people we've worked with who've then gotten that conversation to a point where the funding is available. So I'd encourage you to check that out. So I hope those, I hope those help you, Eric, and give you a starting point, even if you don't start a formal program right now, but give you a starting point for your own leadership development. Now, speaking of leadership, 
relationship. Um, I uh, I saw a tweet, Bonnie, recently. Uh, one of our listeners messaged me and said Simon Sinek had uh, tweeted about leadership and management. Um, and by, I've been getting a bunch of questions in the last uh, couple of months, uh, both on LinkedIn and people in our academy, about the distinction between leadership and management. We've talked about this in past shows, but someone messaged me because Simon Sinek sent out this tweet, and Cynic's tweet says, I'm quoting here, management is the practice of manipulating people for personal gain. Leadership is the responsibility of inspiring people for the good of the group. And he sent this message along and says, Dave, do you agree with this? <laughs> so I'll answer that question, but uh, let me step back first and say, you know, here's how I view leadership and management. I love what John Cotter has said on this. I mentioned him a little bit ago. John Cotter really frames leadership as uh, the process of handling change and views management as the process of handling complexity in an organization. And as organizations begin and and are born, uh, there's a lot of change happening. And as organizations grow, there's more and more complexity. Most of us in our roles and our careers are going to navigate both of those. And depending on the role that we're in, uh, we may be doing a lot more leadership and handling change. We may be doing a lot more management and handling complexity. Almost all of us are doing some of both every day and are charged with doing both as leaders in organizations. So I don't see it as good or bad. I see leadership and management as both really necessary things for us to be doing. So I love Cynic's work. He inspires me all the time. On this point, I disagree with him. I suspect he has a different a different definition of management, but I think both are really essential. And if you're wondering, as a number of people in our community are, about the distinction between leadership and management, two resources I'd really recommend for you. One is to go back and listen to John Cotter when he was on episode 249. He is really the person I think is uh, probably the greatest thinker in the world on organizational change and has had a model that has withstood the test of time for many decades now that's helped many organizations and many people uh, I know in our academy utilize that model with great success. So that's one place to go. Also, I mention in this because uh, my friend Tom Henschel, who hosts the Look and Sound of Leadership podcast over the last couple of months, has been doing a series on the distinction between leadership and management. He's been talking about John Cotter too, and the examples he's been mentioning in the recent episodes are really fabulous. Tom's going to be coming back on the show again soon as well, but I'm going to put links in the notes and in this week's leadership guide as well to Tom's episodes. Um, if you're looking for some additional inspiration on the distinction between the two, I'd certainly uh, suggest listening to Tom. Always lots of related episodes to tell you about if you'd like to dig in more on any of these topics. Uh, if you go to coachingforleaders.com slash podcast, you'll get to the full podcast library, or you can get to it from your free membership dashboard on the coachingforleaders.com website. And if you click on the strategy button, one of the past episodes you'll pull up is episode 249. I mentioned that earlier, how to succeed with leadership and management. John Cotter was on that episode, and we talked about how organizations can balance the need for both leadership and management, specifically as they mature. And this becomes an increasingly challenging question for leaders and especially executive leaders in organizations that have had some level of success of now thinking about how do we maintain the success in what we've been doing? And at the same time, how do we still innovate for the future? 
and capture that entrepreneurial change, try lots of new things spirit that most startups have, but as organizations mature, they tend to lose a little bit of that. And Cotter talked in detail in episode 249 on how you as a leader can start to approach that and as an organization can approach that from a strategic standpoint. So a good episode if you are running into that right now. Also, under the organizational politics button on the library, you'll find episode 328, How to Deal with Opponents and Adversaries. I mentioned Peter Block earlier. I had a conversation with him on that episode. He's probably one of the top thinkers out there on organizational politics. And if, as you get into increasing levels of responsibility in almost any organization, you're going to be dealing with more politics. Uh, And really, it's at every level of the organization, but especially as you get increasing levels of leadership, responsibility. I think you're going to run into this more and more. If you are running into tough situations with internal politics or if you're just finding that stuff isn't happening that you expect to happen and you're not sure why, that's often a really good indicator that organizational politics is at play. And in that episode, Block really goes through and gives us a really helpful matrix, how to start thinking about how you're viewing different relationships and politics within the organization. So many actionable things that came out of that conversation. Again, that's episode 328. Also, if you click on the talent development button in the podcast library, you're going to come across episode 337, uh, just aired a couple weeks ago, Six Tactics to Achieve Extraordinary Performance with Morton Hansen. I mentioned that episode in response to Eric's question, a very helpful roadmap on what you can do to drive your own learning and development, whether you're taking a formal program or not, or working with a coach or not. That will provide you with a roadmap to really think about how you drive your learning, which, of course, is so key in professional development. I do believe, first and foremost, regardless of how supportive the organization is, even an organization that's extremely supportive of leadership development and funding lots of opportunities for employees, it is first and foremost still primarily your responsibility to drive your professional development. Episode 337 is a good starting point for that. And then finally, for those of you who are free members on the website, when you log into the dashboard, one of the other buttons you'll see is a button called MemberCast. I mentioned one of the MemberCasts in today's conversation, MemberCast number seven, and that uh, title is Seven Steps to Landing Professional Development Funding. That's the member cast where I walk through in detail what are the kinds of things you should be thinking about, what are the strategies to use when you're asking for funding. That will apply to all kinds of things that you may be thinking about asking for support from your organization for. Member cast seven is where to go, and that's, again, under the member cast button on the website. Hey, if you haven't already set up your free membership, it is going to give you access to all of that, plus a ton more. One of the other reasons resources I've been posting recently is all the highlights and the books that I've been reading of people I've been interviewing on the show over the last six months. That's being added to every single week. You can get that full archive available as well. Uh, Just go over to coachingforleaders.com and set up your free membership if you haven't already. It's also going to give you access to my free 10-day audio course that's titled 10 Ways to Empower the People You Lead features tons of the lessons from the podcast over the last seven years. If you give me 10 minutes a day, it'll help you to really jumpstart your leadership development. Again, you can join all of that just by going to coachingforleaders.com and setting up your free membership. Next week, I am glad to welcome back to the show, Liz Wiseman. She's going to be returning to the show to teach us about how to ask for help. Uh, Last year, she was on talking about her book, multipliers. This time she's coming back to teach us about some of the lessons from her other best-selling book, 
rookie smarts and why as a rookie without experience sometimes in fact not only sometimes often you have the advantage so tune in for that next week thank you so much to prophet joe for the kind review you left on itunes this past week thank you joe so appreciate it hey if you've been listening to the show for a bit and have heard enough to be able to leave a review on the show i always appreciate those go to coachingforleaders.com itunes and leave a rating or review thank you in advance have a fabulous week and see you next week for the next conversation with liz wiseman take care Thank you.